Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and if you are new, we're so glad you found us, and everyone else, welcome back. I am so excited to share what we have been doing over the last number of months, and actually, I could say it's what we've been doing over the last like eight years. But I have, as you know, been doing a lot of presentations in the community. I travel all around and I do lots of presentations and TV things and radio things and workshops and all kinds of stuff, seminars. So we realized that, you know, there's only one of me and I can't keep doing this, especially with COVID and the way everything has come out. So this year we have been collating all the material from our kids' brains and screens workshops where we cover lots of basic stuff about brain development and video games and smartphones and what to do with all these screens. And we put them together in a course. And I'm just so excited because we're getting to the final finish line on this thing. And we're just finally ready to release it next month. But I just want to let you know that it's coming. You know, we'll be adding to it. We've got many courses that are coming out and we're doing all of this. The way we're going to deliver it is through a subscription service. So I'm just so excited to let you know here ahead of time, just to kind of be the the first to get to announce this and just get you all excited about this. So we have our our culture that we're creating for you. We're creating this community. So you no longer will feel like you're out there wandering around in the wilderness all alone by yourself. You're going to be able to get education. You're going to be able to say to your spouse or your sister-in-law or your best friend, hey, look at this course. This is really cool. It goes through all the things that we need to know about brain development and how we can help our kids and how we're going to help them through these screen challenges. Because I know many of y'all are listening and kind of tuning in here even today, and you're just so discouraged. So I just wanted to put everything that I wish I had had back when I was dealing with this with my oldest son and all the information that I felt like I needed is what you're going to get. And that's our goal with Screen Strong is just to continuously provide the best information and education for parents so they can make decisions based on facts and not based on opinions and not based on emotions and all these things that are really easy to base our opinions on. I am just so excited. So stay tuned for that. You can go to our website. You can sign up for this course to get on the wait list for it. And we'll have much more information to come on that. Today, we have a very special friend back with us on the show. And I'm so um, thrilled that you get to hear part two with us today with with Richard Freed. But before we get started, you know, I I can't start without a little story. So I just have to tell you this story. And it fits in really well, I think, with what we're going to talk with Richard today about, because we're going to talk about solutions. And you're going to hear today that one of the biggest solutions with dealing with kids who have bad screen habits, let's say, or a dependency, is that we have to bring them close uh, back to our family. We have to bring them back. They have, I call it, uh, wandered away from the mothership sometime. And I tell my my kids that too, you know, how close are you to the mothership right now, guys? And they know what that means. It's It's just keeping our family intact and keeping our attachment in order and really nurturing that. But I just have to tell you, Last year we were on a vacation and it was at a beach. In fact, it was out in California and 
got up really early in the morning. We went outside because I saw all this stuff on the beach. There were all these tents set up and something was going on (laughs) and we didn't know what. So we said, come on guys, let's go see. And we had our boys with us and it was was early and we walked down and it was a surfing meet, I guess. I I don't know. Somebody's going to have to correct me um, if I'm wrong on that, but it was like a uh, competition. It was a surfing competition. And so there were all these kids out there and they were in, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, four, up to 14 years old. And all these parents and siblings, you know, were there and we're walking down the beach and we're looking at everybody and they're just all sitting there. And it was so discouraging because there was like kids that were just on their iPads. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, we're at the beach. You know, you're under the umbrella on your iPad because your brother's out there surfing and you don't want to watch him like this is not acceptable. <laughs> I was getting kind of discouraged and we put our blanket down and we had never been to one of these things. And so we're sitting there and we noticed this one family who were not sitting on an iPad. They were in front of, you know, the ocean there and they were in the um, w- the waves kind of standing there. And it was a mom and a dad and three siblings And they were cheering and cheering and cheering for the brother that was out in the water. I just soaked it up. I'm like, this is so cool. This whole family, the siblings, everybody is cheering for this child that's out there. And I was just, so I wanted to take a picture of it. And I thought, no, I can't do that. You know, I just have to preserve this moment in my brain. And so you're not going to believe what happened next. We're sitting here watching and the whole time I'm thinking, this is such a great example of family attachment. And this child out there must feel so warm and welcomed. And, you know, this is his family. And we know at Screen Strong, we're all about team and you've got to be a coach for your kids and you've got to create this team kind of environment. And this family is doing it and it's happening right before my very eyes. So we're watching, they turned around and they started walking back because the thing was over and the child got off his surfboard and he, you know, came running up to his family and they all hugged him and they all turned around and were headed back up to their blanket. And I couldn't believe what I saw. They had t-shirts, matching t-shirts that said team such and such. It had their last name. So like team Hempy, right? Or team Smith or team Freed. And we have Richard Freed on today. And I just got tears in my eyes because I thought they really are a team. This is a family team and they are cheering for their sibling. And I just was so overwhelmed by that. So I just wanted to share that that's what we are trying to capture in our families today. We're trying to put these screens away and we're trying to create this family team attachment. And Richard, welcome back to the show. We want you to pick up on that and talk about why that is so important. Welcome. Thank you so much, Melanie. It's great to be here. Um, and the story that you told is so amazing that that family gets it. It's, it's really hard for families now because Silicon Valley PR sends the message out to families that, you know, your kids are, are best turned loose with devices, that that's what they need. And that is just such a, a PR lie that allows these guys that run the tech industry to, to live in uh, these giant estates. Meanwhile, they don't let their own kids do that stuff. But it's just, it's it's tragic, it's sad, but I'm so happy that that family got it. Richard, we're, we're so glad you're here. For everyone who who has not heard your part one that we just did a couple of weeks ago, please go back and listen to that. We are discussing Wired Child, which is the book that Richard wrote. It's called Wired Child, Reclaiming Childhood in a Digital Age. 
he is going to share more today about the solutions. Where we picked up or where we're going to pick up from where we left off is we went through the bulk of the book and we talked about building strong families, how to boost your children's self-control, promoting their academic success. You know, we talked about how important it is for kids to love school, (laughs) Um, how to protect them from the video game industry, I think we're going to call it, and also just from smartphones and getting addicted to all these things. We tackled a couple problems last week and talked about some brain development things. And this week, we want to pick up Richard and And the story came to mind today when I was getting ready to talk to you because I thought, what a great story. And and this story, I have this picture in my mind, you know, of this family. And it's sort of like my textbook family, I guess, for, for what we're talking about today. And I just want everybody to have that same picture, that same story in their head as we dive into this. I would like today to just start with some of the things you deal with in your practice, because I know that you, t- you deal with teenagers all the time, right? How young do you start seeing kids? What would you say is the youngest age that you've seen? Um, in my practice, I'm seeing kids all the way through. So uh, I'll see kids at four and five. They might have like, uh, you know, some sort of academic challenge or some sort of family challenge. I mean, you... <laughs> And then just with respect to technology, you will see it early. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like my five-year-old has uh, an anger anger problem. And then it's it's really incumbent upon the psychology profession to teach clinicians what you need to do is follow up with the next question. Please tell me when that anger problem is. And so many parents today will say, you know, I said it's time for the iPad to be over. I said I needed my phone back. I said that's the only time that that kid has an anger management problem. It's circumscribed just around technology. So that isn't a kid having an anger problem. You know, these, these kids get labeled impulse control problem or, or you have, you know, you're an oppositional defiant kid. No, that kid has been sucked into screens by persuasive design and all the magic tricks that the tech profession does to turn these devices and technologies into like a drug. So you're pulling essentially a drug away from the kid. Of course, they're going to get upset. It's not the it's not the kid's fault. It's not the parent's fault. So yeah, you'll start seeing that stuff early. And obviously, as you know, it, it just can progress from there. So like for the elementary age kids, that would be sort of a common thing. They would come in with, you know, parents saying, hey, we've got this anger problem or impulse control problem. What are, what are something else in that elementary trying to remember when my kids were that age, what problems they had. Well, I I think it's really shifted. I mean, this is what, I mean, firstly, you are going to see the boys who are, I mean, Fortnite is the big thing. Like we Mm -hmm. are going to develop a new video game that that really sucks boys into this virtual for-profit space. And it's so powerful. That's changed my practice in the sense that you're going to see kids in elementary school do you know these formerly well-behaved kids either throw tantrums or take their parents credit you know mom and dad go take a shower that's the time that a kid that is nine or ten will go pull mom's credit card out of her wallet they know exactly how to 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 spend insane amounts of money on Fortnite and and other products And, and and then you know parents are surprised when they get just you know something on their credit card statement and and it just really it takes down families. It, it really like shakes families to their core. Here's my formerly well-behaved kid stealing a thousand 
yeah. plus dollars for me. Yeah. I, I, this is so fascinating because I just have to stop you a second. I thought Fortnite was for 13 and above. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is played by kids starting, you know, it is the talk of definitely kids in first grade. Like they, it's so sad because kids go to school now and so much of it is around like, who are you on Fortnite? What do you do? What skin? Like that has become what it means to be in many ways cool or as kids get older to be almost a young man. Like this is how cool I am on Fortnite. God forbid, like our kids are, and we can talk about this in a little bit, but boys aren't doing well in school. And I, and I wanted to say one more piece about, you know, that's really boys. And my mom's very much into sort of making sure boys and girls have uh, equal rights and so forth. And you know, but uh, so I just wanted to say, like, sometimes people will say, like, really, you're talking about boys in Fortnite. And yes, Doug Gentile will show us the video game addicted teens. It's like 13% boys, 3% girls. It is mm-hmm. profoundly mm-hmm. gender based. And then the other side of that is now that smartphones and social media are getting pushed down and normalized for kids in elementary school. You're going to see fourth and fifth graders bring phones to school. And that's that has been a profound change. You will see cyberbullying and mean girl syndrome stuff by the time girls are in fourth or fifth grade now. So it's for the boys. It's it it tends to lean more toward, of course, the Fortnite and video games, and for girls, it tends to lean more toward problems coming up with phones. So when the parent comes in, the presentation is, or or their their complaint is, he's losing his temper. He's angry. Is she, if, if you see a, a girl who's in, mili- in elementary school, is she already depressed? Yeah, it's really sad. That's, I think that was the big trigger that really got me into this. It was early 2000s, and I saw a girl about nine years of age brought into me. And nowadays, nine and 10-year-old girls cut uh, on themselves. They nine did not. And 10? Yes, they did not back in early 2000. Like life has changed. Wow. Dr. Jean Twenge's research will show us that the scourge of of depression and suicidality and self injury has just blown up in in tweens. It used to not happen, and that really started in '09. It I think it, it's nearly tripled since '09, and so that that's what got me started because I was working in early 2000s with a girl about nine and. Her parents were bringing her in and she, and she was cutting and that just really hadn't happened. And I really wasn't, I was just starting to kind of consider technology. But when I got into it, here is this girl whose parents believed, were told by Silicon Valley that their daughter would just benefit and do amazing things on this place called MySpace. And that's where this girl, you know, just to show you like how long I've been at this, like MySpace has sort of come and gone and for kids, but like that's where this girl was, you know, it was sort of the pre-Instagram, pre-Snapchat for kids. And, and this girl was living her life on that and so disconnected from her family that it led her to become depressed and cut. Wow. That just blows my mind that there could be someone that young that's already feeling depressed. And so what do you tell these parents? Okay. These I'm talking about the elementary and then we're going to talk about middle school next, but what do we tell, what do you, what, what's the mode of treatment, I guess, or, you know, for an elementary age child, what, what's the first thing? I mean, obviously you ask them about their digital diets and what they're doing with all that, but what do you recommend? And 
Yeah. Our, our society's been flipped around. When young people become tweens, when young people hit their, their teens, Silicon Valley PR will tell parents, this is what your kid should be doing. Online peers are where they are supposed to live their lives. So these parents are just walking in immersed in a culture uh, and a culture of myth. They have no, they aren't aware that Silicon Valley tech execs aren't falling for that. They, they aren't aware that Steve Jobs, Bill Gates and company, all these other tech execs wouldn't fall for that lie and they aren't giving their kids devices like that. But these, mm-hmm. these families are caught up in that. And I will just try to talk with them about, and this, is, this applies to all ages kids, but there is one type of parenting over and over and over, which science tells us is right. And it's authoritative parenting. And it, and it sounds complicated, but it's really quite simple. It's two things. You are highly responsive. That means you are engaged, loving. Let's make pancakes together. Where, where are we going on the weekend? You make t-shirts for your kids. <laughs> Wear t-shirts for our kids. Uh, we as parents are being really mindful that we're going to provide a welcoming, loving home. We know that persuasive design can really suck us into technologies ourselves. And if that happens, kids are going to feel not responsive or that we aren't being responsive. So we're going to be super mindful about our own device use. And so we're, and we're going to welcome them. And this so much needs to apply as our kids become teenagers. And I know kids are going to, you know, they, they are developmentally pushing to sort of gain some independence, but they, we are not supposed to go away. I mean, they are supposed to get, of course, they're going to get a little bit irritable or edgy or come on mom or dad, but like, we can't go away. And that's the first part of that authoritative parenting. And the second part is, of course, the boundaries. And Yes, the second part of authoritative parenting is, you know, firstly, high responsiveness. The second one is high demandingness. And that sounds harsh to many parents. Like, really? I mean, go back to 1850, Oklahoma frontier. If your kid, you know, starting at age six, all the way through 18, they had jobs to do. And this mm-hmm. was, that's representative of how humans have always lived. You needed your kids to actually survive and to 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 do their jobs and if and if they didn't you know there was the whole community would be up in arms so here now in modern day culture oh it's you know let kids do what they want let them find themselves no our job is to give them structure and and love and you know we're not going to be authoritarian we're not going to be um harsh about it we're going to role model all this we're going to have kids work alongside of us but essentially parents need to know that they have every right to say, no, we're going to come home from school, grab a snack and start our homework. Like, no, it's not time to be on phones. And no, it's, you know, when grandparents are uh, saying we're going to buy Junior uh, a video game system for Christmas or the holidays, like, no, we, that, that, please return it. We'll, you know, <laughs> we'll take something else. Yeah. So it's really taking charge. And so with this elementary age, it still is just kind of blowing my mind that you see girls that young that are cutting. And I know you do, because I know that they're all on these platforms they shouldn't be on. And even the boys on Fortnite, Fortnite is a, is rated for 13 and above. And from what my boys tell me, they mention, and even their friends say, because I ask when we have groups of 15 to 17 year old boys at my house, I ask these questions and they say, oh no, we don't play, you know, Fortnite or Fortnite. You only do that when you're little. Yeah. The, you know, Fortnite, we need to have, I need, I just need to have a whole nother show about Fortnite, but Fortnite is very violent. And 
I can't even get my head around being in elementary school and trying to to play a battle royale game. I mean, what that really means, the last man standing wins. I mean, you have to kill everybody. Yeah, and in many ways, it's a gateway drug. Let's bring you in, and, and it's sort of like cartoonish violence and so forth, and it's just preparing families and kids to later shift to Call of Duty and all these other games uh, because eventually, yeah, somebody's going to say like, oh, that's for young kids. You should be playing this. But it really indoctrinates boys to have the ethic as I describe in, and it's described in the Wall Street Journal, this, uh, you know, I'm quoted in there, but you just, boys are being lost in elementary school to Fortnite or middle school. Like things that used to happen when kids were teens five years ago, parents are now getting this extreme pushback. And, And with Fortnite, you get kids in elementary school setting their alarms to wake up at three in the morning. Um, you know, if your kid is tired at school, if your kid is falling asleep in school and they're a boy, I'd think about what they're doing at night. Yeah. And they will like a drug, they'll go after it and they'll do what they can. It's just for this, for this age group though, there is a lot that the parent can do, right? Cause the kids are young. They're still young. You're going to catch it early. You're going to detox them, put them through, you know, a detox where you just got to take, take it away. It's going to be difficult especially if they're to the point where they're seeing you in your office, there's been problems, but it's not going to be as hard to take it away and restructure and replace, right? Because you have to replace it. You can't just say, I'm taking this thing away that you did for five hours every day and you're just going to have to sit there. Melanie, as you said at at the beginning, these technologies displace family. And so when we, if we're going to try to reduce kids' overuse of all these entertainment technologies, we can't just pull that away because they'll be left with nothing and, and, and they'll really fall apart. While we are limiting technology, while we're making this change, we need to bring that kid back, as you say, into the family. We need to, in many ways, kind of push ourselves back into that kid's life. Like, here we go. We are going here. We're going there. Yeah, we're coming and you're coming with me to let's go shop. And like mm-hmm. you're bringing that kid back into doing what parents are doing. And I wanted to say when you brought up that story, you know, I think parents in their heart know that this is right. If, if parents just to a person, I think parents in their heart know it's wrong to watch their kids disappear to back rooms at any age to live their lives on devices. And they know it's wrong. And I think that's instinctual. They know they're not supposed to lose their tween or their teenage kid mm-hmm. to this stuff. And and they are right. That is, listen listen to that inner voice. Yeah, there is an inner voice. And I think it gets drowned out by culture. And that's why it's Green Strong. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to create another place for you to get your affirmation from. I love the community that you have at Screen Strong. I love that parents can come together and find one another because they, you know, you're they're sold this false, fake Silicon Valley funded community out there that that all is just benefiting tech founders and and stockholders. No, like Screen Strong is a real place for real parents dealing with real life. I mean, you're exactly right, and I and, and I'm trying to create something, and we are creating something that. I really wish I had had, because I remember what it feels like. And everybody listening, if you're on that journey right now, it is very lonely. 
it is an extremely lonely thing to think that you're the only one out there struggling with this. So I can only imagine how much you have to muster up the energy just to take your child to see somebody when you know there's something wrong. And that's why we're so glad to have you on today to talk about this. Cause I know there's people that are listening. They're like, man, you know, I have a, a seven-year-old and he is really angry and I need to know these signs. And this is what our course is about too. We're, we're trying to develop this course that so you'll be able to get on there. You'll be able to learn the facts, get the information about what the warning signs are. Gosh, just to get the education is so critical. So Richard, what happens, what is like a middle school, maybe sixth, seventh and eighth grade? What is the most typical thing that you feel like is happening in our culture in that age group that you, you might see in your office? Wow. You're going to start to see boys disconnect from school. The end consequence of this is right now, and it may have actually increased this differential in COVID because boys are so much taken down with respect to this online learning and so forth. Uh, it's really sucked them in. But you know, 57% of college admissions are young women and only 43% are boys. Like if, if today you'll hear so many parents, I just want my boy to be normal. Okay. What's really tragic in this culture is normally today for boys, there's a really good chance they're not going off to college. Even if that's would be a family goal and their goal, there is a really good chance that that is not happening to have a normal boy go because normal boy coach culture is I'm logging on when I get home from school, um, staying up till midnight during the week weekdays, and then on weekends, that's what, where I'm going to live my life. And that ethic really builds in middle school. And when boys get immersed in that video game culture, they turn against school. There is nothing that can compare to the drug-like effects of playing online video games. And so everything else, everything becomes boring. I don't like it. And so parents are saying, why can't I get my kid interested in this or this or that? They can't. There's no... Unless you give your kid methamphetamine, nothing else is going <laughs> to uh, compete with that. So they're coming in. Are they? Do you have uh, just what does it call when they're failing to go to school? School refusal. Oh, that gets nasty because you see boys that ten years ago, twenty years ago, were shy, anxious, but they were the ones that were going to shine in school because they, you know, they were, were really invested. I see these really bright, anxious boys, and then they get caught up in gaming. And then they don't, they, they, they fall behind in school and they literally cannot go face a teacher because they're kind of shy and anxious. They can't go face a teacher who says, where's your assignment? Why are these past three or four missing assignments? Why are these 10 assignments now not done? And, and they literally can't tolerate that. So they will refuse school. And really what they have is a gaming addiction, but like it's going to be called school refusal. And that, that is, that's just tragic to watch that happen. If, if this kid wouldn't have gotten really sucked into games, that is a kid who would have found themselves 10 or 20 years ago as the shy, anxious kid to be realizing like, oh, if I work hard in school, that's where I can get a lot of kudos and, and a lot of status and recognition. Um, I'm going to develop my person around doing this. But so many kids can get sucked up into that today. And it's really brought on by the replacement world of the video game world because we're social media. It's the same thing. They can hitch their wagon over there and they feel so accomplished over there when they're not accomplishing anything, but they get on the leaderboard and they become the king of the day over there. And it's such a false sense. And in our course that I'm putting together, I have these 
reasons why boys game. And it's really fascinating to put all this down in a real easy to kind of see form, but it's not that hard to figure out. And so our job as parents then, and I imagine what you try to tell parents is you've got to start replacing that. Yeah, it's hard. There's nothing like my son says, there's nothing in real life that can measure up to the amount of dopamine that you're going to get in a video game, unfortunately, but you have to start somewhere and you have to start replacing it. And I think the other thing that happens in middle school is just the way human development works around this stage of their development. Everything's getting harder. What they did in elementary school, maybe they were the best kid on the basketball team or kickball team or something, but now you get to middle school and you know, everything starts separating out, right? So it's harder. It's harder. Sports are harder. Clubs are harder. You know, all the puberty stuff is happening and the girls and, you know, the relationship stuff, and it's just harder. And we take this stage of development where it's like probably one of the hardest stages. According to my boys, they said it was the hardest stage. Of course, they're in high school now. Things are making a lot more sense. But you take that child and then you you let them play video games because you feel like they they deserve it. This is what I, I hear. And even with my son, I felt the same way. I thought, well, he works so hard and he's struggling so much with this or that. So surely he deserves a break and surely he deserves this. And it all starts to backfire. What do you see with girls in middle school? You know, I think we talked about this a little bit the, on, on the last talk, but you really start to see the consequences of our girls changing biology because Mm. 1850 girls are starting their periods or cycles at age 16. And that meant adolescence starts two years before that. That meant you had a girl until she was 14. Yes. Mom and dad want to hang out with you. You're great. Uh, How can I help? And then you had a little bit of pushback starting when girls were 14, but their brains were more developed to be able to handle that pushback a little bit of adolescence. Now, girls are starting, you know, they're having their periods at, at, gosh, 10 or 11. So adolescence can start at eight or nine. And by the time it gets to middle school, you have this girl ethic of, uh, of this is where I'm, I'm supposed to live my life, that, that all my teen friends are the ones who are, or, and preteen friends are supposed to be the ones who really carry me through this. They're the ones, they believe in their heart of hearts that because their biology is really telling them, oh, this is who I need to connect with. My parents are crazy, which is really kind of an evil trick that are, uh, that either, you know, why is that happening? Like potentially changes in nutrition or a, a lot of environmental toxins that kind of mimic or trigger estrogen. In any case, it just throws girls into, in, into this peer-driven world that where they're they're not supposed to be they're really they of course they're going to push back against the uh, us as as their families but it's it's just they they need us and and it's just tragic to see girls say these are my best friends and invariably you know i have daughters like they weren't involved in it but you you just see this with girls like if a girl becomes too popular or if a girl starts to do well in school they will turn against her this is not where girls are supposed to really get their you know, find their home. It's it needs to be with family, and if and if and if they are pushing back against mom and dad, yes, hopefully there is another family member, an aunt, an uncle, a grandma who can really step in and and help this kid through this rough time. That's a really good point to bring up our extended family and to start early nurturing those relationships because that doesn't happen overnight. I mean, we that that's just a great point. We have a an aunt, my, you know, in our family that 
is that person, you know, for the kids. And it's just so great to have other caring adults in your kids' lives. And so if you're listening, kind of start thinking about that too. Who do you know in your village, even if they're not an extended blood relative family, it could be a coach, it could be an art teacher, it could be a music teacher. And this is the benefit of being screen strong and living the screen strong lifestyle is that your kids are involved in so many different types of activities that it's not just one hobby like social media. Hey, I'm going to be an influencer one day or video games. I'm going to be a game designer one day that you've got real life interest. And the benefit of that, Richard, I didn't realize until we were well on this journey, the benefit of the other adults that are interfacing with our kids is priceless. I, I from their, their coaches, just like I said, their music teachers, um, we have an art teacher that is a, a couple, man and wife. They're like, these people are all part of our family now. And it is so freeing because, um, you know, the boys spend a lot of time with them. And I'm, I mean, just as you're saying this, I'm like, you're right. This is such a huge blessing. Every kid needs some adults in their life that aren't necessarily mom and dad that are saying the same thing mom and dad are saying, right? And I think this is why a lot of parents end up with counseling, right? I think they end up going to a counselor because their kid doesn't have anybody else to talk to. Right. No offense to you. Of course, you're a great person to talk to. No, no, no. (laughs) And I wanted to throw out one more little bit about middle school. I I think some people out there have kind of done a, a disservice to parents really pushing the idea that use video games as a reward. Use it as a carrot to get your kids to to jump, to do this, to do chores, to do school. It's a deception because it looks like it works for about a week, maybe a month. And then what you have is kids start to say, well, I want more video games for for school because I'm not really liking school. And that's what the research will say. When you use extrinsic motivators. That's what video games are. Extrinsic means external. It has nothing to do with school, you know, phones, uh, money. Uh, When you continually use an extrinsic motivator to try to get your kid to do something, it chips away at what is the most important thing that we as parents want to develop in our kids. And that is an intrinsic desire to do well. Um, it diminishes their desire. These extrinsic rewards subconsciously send the message, if I'm getting rewarded for this, what I'm doing really must stink. I must really, I really should hate it. I don't like history. I don't like math. I need to get rewarded for right. it. I'm too old for them to know what ADHD is. And I was not a, you know, I have a lot of those characteristics and I was not like a really into school kid. And I, it took me a while to find that. But I remember distinctly, like middle school, like oh, that's the the smart kid. That 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 kid seems to get the the score. I wonder if I tried hard. I wonder if I could kind of like get close to what that kid does. Or maybe if, you know, let's just see what happens. I, here's a course that's coming. What what happens if I really try in this one? That's what we need our kids to do. Yeah, we don't need to like pay them to go to school, which is kind of what we're doing when we're giving them these rewards. And I agree with you 100 percent that you should never use a screen as a reward. It It is such a counterproductive thing. And what, what parents should be thinking instead is 
that we should think of things that we value and use those things as a reward. You should always use something you value as a reward. Doesn't that make sense? That you use time with family. That's what we have found that works very well across not just our family, but many families that we work with, that time, a special time with mom or dad. So, you know, maybe time on a Thursday night, once a week to go get frozen yogurt with your dad, you know, that becomes sort of an award. I mean, you should do these things anyway, but you can use time with family as a reward. I know one family who uses when their kids do certain chores, they have a family camping situation out in their backyard. It's just in their backyard and dad goes out and puts a tent out and they get a camp with dad on a weekend night. Yeah. So extrinsic rewards really are are problematic when they have to do with like money. We still want to, like if your kid does well in school, yes, go ahead and give them a hug. Go ahead and say like, like that, that type of stuff and say like, nice going, high five, that kind of stuff is, is not considered an extrinsic reward. Those sort of little verbal high five, let's spend time together. That that's all possible. Oh yeah. And even the red plate that we use at dinner when someone won an award at school or they ran a race and they won it, you know, we have celebrations and celebrations and all that is really good. But I think this is a really good point to talk about. Um, right now we're talking about middle school and this whole school refusal thing and, we find ourselves in this negotiating spot where we're negotiating with our kids and we're using technology to do it. So that's definitely a solution that you don't want to use. (laughs) A better solution would be, you know what, Richard, we sound like a broken record. We just keep saying, spending more time with your family. (laughs) That's, that's really the overall solution, isn't it? To all the, yeah. I mean, if you had to narrow it down, you know, we can't give you a 10 step program. Really. It's, it's spending more time with your kids, getting to know them better, talking to them more. And even when they push back and, even when they don't like you, it's okay. You're the coach. You're the parent. You're the adult. You still like them and you smile and don't let them ruffle your feathers too much, especially when you're taking this stuff away. What happens in high school? What What are the types of things? Is it more of the same in high school? It's so sad to see boys who are, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. I do okay. But just to see boys just with a gifted level of intelligence, their brains are coming around to, to realize like, uh-oh. I think I screwed this up, but I, mm. I don't have the ability now. I'm so addicted to this stuff. I know I can't stay off of it. So like you see these kids who literally would be off to save the world or do something really magical in their lives, but they, they can't get off of the game. And that's just sad to see. And you're just hoping as they get older that, that, um, that they're going to wake up. You're hoping that, that their families can find uh, Screen Strong and other communities where they can come together to start helping young people understand what they need to do to turn their lives around. So that's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. I had a call um, just this week, a mom who has an 18-year-old son who started college a few months ago, and he's already dropped out of three classes because he's a gamer and he just can't go to class. And boy, does this sound familiar? This is exactly what happened to, our, to us. He's moving back home, Richard. And I'm so sad. I'm, I'm so sad. And you know, what do you tell, what do you tell a family, Richard? What do you tell someone who has a senior who, you know, you know, it's not going to change in three months, right? Where he's getting ready to go to college and he's been gaming five hours a day. When he goes to college, there's such uh, freedom there. And there's, there's no, you know, mom's not there with the kitchen timer. Right. So he's going to have a lot of free time. He's probably going to game a whole lot more it is very, very common. Yeah. 
this boys fall into those gaming dens. You know, I I think this isn't for every family, but boys' prefrontal cortices or cortexes are like coming online. They're not going to be done until they're 25. You're hoping a lot of maturity can happen. So, you know, one of the things that I would suggest for families is to consider junior college or community college for two years. Work your bottom off. You're studying at home. You are not falling in on that freshman dorm uh, potentially drinking too much, yeah. but also just falling in with a with a bunch of kids gaming. Instead, you're you're at home and you're taking school really seriously. And parents provide kids support. And parents should not feel bad about this. Years ago, we did not turn eighteen year olds loose. We sent them into the army. Right. Uh, right. We had a drill sergeant to tell them when they could go to the bathroom right. or brush or brush their teeth. Many years ago, we would send young men off to become apprentices. Mm-hmm. A lot of young men, I wasn't ready just to completely be ready to find themselves and, and to have adult community support and to and to work amongst elders, that, that's completely normal and, and young people and their parents should feel good about that. Love that. Love that you're saying the junior college thing, and I would imagine a gap year would be fine. Uh, it's really counterproductive to launch a boy into college if he is a gamer, if you know what he's doing, if he meets that criteria of someone who's really dependent on video games. I know a lot of times parents just really want them out of their house. I understand that because you're so frustrated because it's really disrupting your whole family, but it's really cruel in some ways to send them off because they're not going to outgrow it in three months. They're not going to all of a sudden become these responsible people in three months. It's not going to happen. I see parents. Yeah. Like, uh, we just, we sent our kid off 50, 60 grand for a freshman year and that's down the toilet. Their kids back home. Yeah. How, how, how much of a problem do you think gaming is in college? I mean, do you think what if you, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold you to it just in your work of line of work where you are. And as far as college, kids that are gaming, would you say the majority of kids are gaming or boys? I guess? That is a really good question. I'm less sort of in that because I usually see kids up through 18 okay. or 19. And then if, if I'm lucky, they'll, they'll head off. I mean, I think from what I hear, I think colleges should be wary of companies promoting esports. You know, these are companies that, that make money off of kids uh, as opposed to build character. They're to be an esports, to be good at that, how much do you need to game a day? Five, ten hours? I think it's like eight hours. I know it's that's a whole nother talk about the esports. Oh my goodness, that is such a problem. To me, that doesn't make sense to have colleges bring onto campus a, an organization that pushes, especially boys, to game, and we know that the more kids game, the less well they do in ac- academically. And that is true. And uh, as Leonard Sachs tells us, in elementary, middle, high school, and college, boys adrift. So it, it makes no sense to really have that be university supported. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of those boys are not doing as well, or some of them are probably going home because they are being encouraged to game while they are in college. Well, and they're certainly not reaching their potential because if you're spending all your hours doing that, it's um, very hard to focus on anything else. And then girls too, they're getting into college. They're going to college. There's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. They are still covered up with social media. You've got issues with parents that are not 
able to really fully let go and they're texting them all day and, you know, do they, are they really leaving home? You know, no, I mean, they're not really becoming independent because the phone does bring a lot of that and that's a whole nother thing. So we've, we've covered just a, a lot of problems, but we keep coming back to the same solution. So as we start to, to wrap up again, to offer advice and solutions and help for parents, what's the perfect patient that you see that you say, wow, that really worked out well. That situation came in looking like a train wreck. We did XYZ work and I'm really proud. We're going to give that case an A. What does that look like in your day-to-day world? Where every single adult that cares about that kid and is involved in that young person's life is working together. Uh, when families are separated, mom and dad come together. That they've worked together, you know, and put put aside their differences. We know this kid uh, needs this, so we've struggled in our own relationship, but we know our kid needs this. So we're going to totally be on board. Um, we're going to have grandparents and so forth, and we're all going to reach out to this young person and say, like, we need to help you and. Gosh, you're going to feel, I think kids know that they're lost um, and kids are going to push back some. Oh, it's just so nice once kids can step away and just to see that happen. It's a magical thing. So do you recommend that they get off their screens? Every family, you know, you're trying to sort of figure this out. I mean, all screens, as you and I know, are not created equal. Like what's problematic is your individual tablet or phone in your room alone for all hours of the day and night is a world away from we're going to sit down as a family and watch a favorite show together <laughs> yeah. or favorite movie. And it's so disturbing to hear. And, and and I think they've even realized their own lie, but you heard this whole push 10 years ago or something that, boy, that passive media, that's the problem. Oh, having your kid sit and no, that is not like sit there as a family, make a frozen, a, a frozen pizza together, hang out, watch your favorite, uh, show, turn it off. That was fine. That was a family moment. You can all laugh about that. You can look forward to next week. We're going to get together and watch part two right. or this or that. And and then we were uh, 10 years ago, the Silicon Valley was trying to tell us that interactive technologies were the, the, that's where it's all great. No, your kid will go to the back room and start interacting with all sorts of people and things that you don't necessarily want them to. Good old fashioned watching a, a movie together and laughing at that together is a community shared experience. Oh no, that's definitely, I mean, and I, I know one tip that I think is really good is to hang on to those DVDs that you have. And the reason why I'm saying that we have like a whole library of family movies and they're on DVD and it's so wonderful to put a DVD in. Yes, we still have a DVD player because guess what? When it's over, it's over. The DVD is done. The movie's over and it doesn't go on to the next movie, right? And you don't have Netflix up with the binging and all that stuff going on. So I agree with with all that. I think definitely using screens for that. But as far as solution, just some other solutions, obviously you've got to identify the problem, right? Which is where like we come in and we really try to help parents identify the problem. And, you know, Richard, you've seen some previews of this new course. Talk about that for a minute, just for parents out there that needs some education. Oh, the kids' brains and screens course is just, I have not seen science brought forward like that in such a super interesting, but like easy to digest way to hear honestly the truth 
and how this affects families. I just, I, I thought Screen Strong did amazing in putting that together. Thanks. I think that this is our goal is to try to make it simple for parents to understand what's going on and do it in a kind of a quick way. So you don't have to sit and read a bunch of books, but you can still get it. So that's the first step, right? And then, and then we like to say that you've got a parent like a coach, just like what you mentioned earlier here today, the different, the parenting style that, that parents need that authoritative parenting where there's a high responsiveness, but still demanding from their kids and they're putting boundaries and whatnot. So I think that's, that's the next part of the solution. I think one thing that we mentioned Leonard Sachs today, and I love when he talks about stop treating our kids like adults. I love that concept. I think that's a big solution. Just stop in your tracks right where you are. You have a 10-year-old. You do not have an adult. <laughs> Let's start thinking about what does a 10-year-old need to do right now? And a lot of that is removing the screens and removing not all the screens, but removing the screens that are going to be problematic and be too immersive and too toxic is the way, you know, the word we like to use. And then after that, the, the, we talked about replacing those screen activities and those negative screen activities with other interests and hobbies and life skills and how that then morphs into really becoming a strong member of your family. Because when you are in a family and you're treating it like a team, which you should, like at the beginning, we talked about the surfing family that I idolize. I don't even know them and I love them. I love the fact that that mom or dad made up these t-shirts and they were really cute, you know, with their last name and we were team Smith over here. I think that when we start bringing our kids into this team environment and then you get some, like you just mentioned, you get some other caring adults involved in their world you've got a pretty good chance of this whole thing turning out pretty good. Yes, Melanie, you couldn't say it better. You know, I talked recently and uh, just to, to a group of youth, I, I tried to sell them on what they're being sold. And I think they're realizing this with the Facebook files and so forth. Even they know in their hearts of hearts, like, wow, my parents have my back. And these teachers, maybe I should, we should be putting our phones down at school. And actually there's teachers here that I could like be inspired by too. So um, I'm hoping that we head, that's what young people need most, even when they're teens, family one, school school and teachers next. Um, I hope, I'm hoping we all figure that out together. So to wrap up and, and you always want, I always want my guests to share something at the end and I'm going to put you on the spot here, but you're perfect to do this question. We've got people listening. We've got parents who are really struggling, right? They have teenagers. They have maybe elementary, middle, high school, sons and daughters out there. How can you coach them? If you, if they were sitting in front of you right now, what could you tell them when they hang up from this podcast and their kids are coming home from school and they want to make some changes? How do you tell parents to talk to their kids about stopping, about, about not just cutting back, but eliminating some of the things that are really hurting their lives? I think parents can listen to their heart and they know what's right because, oh, it's so hard for parents to feel uncomfortable and to fall in with these Silicon Valley fed lies because they know that they're not parenting right. They know something's wrong. Listen to your heart. Honestly, it's all backed up by science that you can you know find on Screen Strong. I think that puts them in a better place. And I feel like also if parents need to go to young people and parents in no way have ever made a mistake with all this because they've been sold a bunch of lies. But I think parents can say like, 
to some extent, if, if kids are really wrapped up in this, you know, we were deceived by this tech culture and, and I'm sorry about that. And, you know, in an ideal world, we would have maybe not had you do this so often. And that is, we were deceived by that. It's not our fault, but in an ideal world, we might, would have done it differently. Now we need to, we found science and, and we know what is right for you. And we're going to do our best to, to provide that for you. It's just so simple. I mean, you make it sound really simple. <laughs> Thank you for making it sound simple because it's really scary sometimes. You know, Richard, why are we scared of our kids? Let's just throw that in for our final question. It's hard. I mean, when you get kids that are told by an outside force that this is where they are supposed to live their lives and this is their truth, mm. they can get into an unhealthy place and they can, and we and we can lose that attachment. And once we lose that attachment and that connection, it's really hard to parent. So Whatever it is, we need to start today to work to get that back so our kids can hear us. So we really can't be scared of our kids anymore. We've got to hang on to the truth. We've got to listen to people like Richard. You've been such an inspiration. You know how much I love your book. And I'm not just here to just give you all sorts of compliments. I'm telling you, this Wired Child, Reclaiming Childhood in the Digital Age is the name of Richard's book. This book is so wonderful to use if you want to do a book club, just even gather four or five of your friends. When the course is out in November, you can do the course as well. We'll call it a course club, right? And we'll use Richard's book <laughs> with it. He, he's got such a way, you know, Richard, I'll tell you that we always put up little Facebook graphics and we do things to highlight quotes from authors, from books that we love. And I will tell you that you are the most quotable author, <laughs> by the way. We found so many wonderful sayings or quotes or just the way that you say things in this book are very perfect. Um, um, and I don't say that lightly. I do a lot of the searching for the quotes and I would get through the first just a few pages and I have 10 quotes. I'm like, wait a minute, I have too many. I have to stop reading your book. Thank you, Melanie. I walk around my life quoting you. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm quoting you. And I just want to say to all of y'all listening, you will love Richard's down to earth. Um, you're just not afraid to say it. And this is the message we need. We need this bold message. We feel confused, but we're not confused. We know exactly what we need to do. And we need to go save our kids. And we need people like Richard to be in our community and in our culture that we're creating over here at Screen Strong. Richard, thank you so much for coming on today and for your time. We appreciate you so much. Melanie, thank you so much. It was really great to be here. Well, I hope y'all all enjoyed listening today. Please share this podcast with a friend. And if you enjoy our content, consider being a podcast sponsor. Just like I said a few minutes ago in the show, we are coming out with our course. So be sure and go on the website and register to, to be notified as soon as that comes out and get on that wait list. So you can learn more about our free version of the Screen Strong Challenge too. We didn't talk about that very much today, but we have a challenge and we're making this challenge a 30-day challenge. You can start with a seven-day challenge, move it into 30 days. This is a really super practical way to undo the mess that we've got our kids in and start getting our kids back. This is a digital detox. If you need additional help, please join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. You'll find so much support in that group from other parents just like you. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.